Welcome to the Happy Eating Podcast. We are your host, author, dietitian, and award-winning food and health journalist, Carolyn Williams. And I'm joined by my co-host, Briarly Horton. I'm a dietitian nutritionist, content creator, and strategist, and avid mental health advocate. We're here to give you the best tips to stay healthy and happy. Let's get started. I'm so excited to introduce y'all to the guest who is going to kind of our expert in intermittent fasting. It's Amanda Nybert. And Amanda is really the first practitioner or first dietitian that I really learned about intermittent fasting from. It was at, it was about four or five years ago now, maybe. Uh, I can't believe it's been that long. And I just written an article on, um, for Cooking Light, actually, and it was on how many meals a day do you need to eat? And honestly, I was like, oh my gosh, why are they assigning this? This is such an old topic. Like, yes, you need to eat frequently. And I was like, I mean, really, I was like, this is like so, you know. This is Nutrition 101. Yeah. And then I started going through the research. And I really, I always go through the research. There's lots of trolls out there. But I like going through the research so that I feel confident in what I write. And I know I'm writing on the very latest and most well-researched stuff. And as I went through the research just to kind of do my due diligence to write this article, because I was pretty sure you're still supposed to eat frequent meals a day, I realized, oh my gosh, this research that I'm finding doesn't really align with what I thought and what I had learned in school. It was around that time that I happened to meet Amanda Nybert, and she has a phenomenal program where she guides you through a seven-week period through intermittent fasting, teaches you the basics, why you're doing it, makes it essentially somewhat of a a really a painless process for the most part and coaches you through it. And I really learned from her and it was at a time where no other dietitians were talking about it. I remember writing an article about intermittent fasting on my blog and I was nervous to put it out there because of backlash I might get from other dietitians. But my knowledge was research-based, and Amanda, I credit Amanda as really being the brave one stepping out there, kind of looking at something new that was research-based, and now she has an amazing program that's just blossoming um, that's all centered around intermittent fasting. So I love an early adopter. <laughs> love an early adopter. So welcome. So, um, so Amanda, we're just going to jump right into the questions and, you know, we really want to, this podcast focuses on really kind of mental, potential mental health, mental wellness benefits that you might gain. But I think it's important that we just cover the basics. So what, what is intermittent fasting? What does that mean? What does it entail? How, How would you describe it to someone who is not familiar with it? Well, thank you, ladies. I am super excited to be here. I like to call myself the renegade dietitian. I feel like I've been kind of bucking the norm since day one. So um, it's interesting that you say that. But yeah, I mean, very much like you guys, um, I always say as a registered dietitian, in order to get your diploma, you have to put your hand on your diploma and say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It is absolutely the number one thing that we are, you know, drilled in during our education. So to really get to a point where um, I'm actually encouraging my clients to skip breakfast or reduce their eating window um, took a very similar pattern as uh, Carolyn. I had to have, you know, a lot of research in order to back that. But, you know, intermittent fasting It's simply another way of looking at it as time-restricted eating. Um, The ability to, you know, reduce your eating window to a certain period of time. Um, And I always like to say the reason why intermittent fasting is getting so much, um, you know, kind of news and and, um, spotlight right now has to do with the um, Nobel Peace Prize, which was won in 2016 regarding the discovery of autophagy. And it was really at that point when that kind of research and and that, um, you know, award was given that we realized that there is actually a very powerful process that happens in the body at digestive rest. Um, And that is autophagy. And and basically autophagy is the body's ability to cleanse itself from the inside out. And it wasn't until really that point that we could definitively say, yes, there is benefit in not eating. 
Um, and so that's why there's been so much momentum with regards to time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting, because since that time, there's been so much research done on the power of, you know, not eating and, and reducing your eating window. So um, I know that's a, a really, um, you know, broad way to answer your question. But at the end of the day, intermittent fasting is just simply um, a time in which you don't eat. Yeah. So I, I really want to kind of get a high level view, um, overview rather, of some of the benefits, right, of intermittent fasting. And as you were saying, I mean, there, and I, I've seen it as well, like there has been a lot more research that's come out. But before we do that, can you talk a little bit about the different ways of following intermittent fasting? Because there are a couple different, you know, methods out there. But I actually started intermittent fasting, gosh, about like eight months ago. Mm-hmm. And I do 16-8, and that's just what works for me. I like 16-8, too. I, I didn't like the other methods. Amanda, we'll get you to go over those. But 5-2 um, didn't work for me. It was depressing to me. Like, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll get Amanda to go over that. But I do 16-8 and works really well. I forget I'm doing it. Yes, same, same. But because there are different ways, Amanda, will you explain what the different ways are? And then if you have a preference or if you have one that you think is – you know, ideal for people to follow, like give that one a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I love about intermittent fasting, I mean, I love so much about it. A, it's free, you know, there, there's no <laughs> to implementing this, you know, nutritional strategy or health strategy. B, there's so many different ways in order to implement it in your life. And so you can really find the schedule that works best for you and see it's not an all or nothing strategy. You know, if you want to fast for 16 hours and eat for eight hours, Monday through Friday, and you want to eat breakfast with your children on Saturday and Sunday, go for it. Every day you fast, every time that you implement time restricted eating, you receive the benefit. So it's not like, you know, keto, where you have to be, you know, uber low carb for three or four days to start to see the benefits. You see them kind of immediately. So I I love that about it. Um, There's definitely a lot of different ways to implement it. The 16-8, I feel like is the most popular because I feel like it's the most doable. Um, I know in my clinical, when I was working in a clinical setting, um, I worked with morbidly obese clients and, and many times they would come in and say, Amanda, I'm just not hungry for breakfast. You know, I find you're telling me I have to eat breakfast. And the days that I eat breakfast, I'm hungry all day long. Um, But the days that I don't eat breakfast and I eat when I'm actually hungry, maybe that's at 11, 12, 1, I find that my hunger is so much better managed. And, you know, there's a reason for that, you know, that we wake up and, and for the most part are not starving. You know, there's regulations and our hormones that allow us to do that. So the 16-8 is, is very simple. Most of the time you skip breakfast, um, you eat your first meal at about 10, 11, or 12, and you wrap everything up at about five, six, or seven. So we fast for 16 hours and we eat for eight hours. Um, I think that every single person listening to this podcast um, and every person in your life from your one-year-old to your 101-year-old should be fasting for at least 12 hours. And that should be doable. So if you wrap up dinner at 8 p.m., then your first meal is at 8 a.m. Um, and when we look at historical patterns of, of meals in the past, prior to this whole six small meals a day, um, patterns showed that we typically ate breakfast at 8, we had lunch at noon, And we had dinner at 530 and there was no snacking. I'm 43 years old and I remember coming home from high school, asking my mom for a snack and she would slap my wrist and say, you're going to ruin your dinner. No. Mm -hmm. And nowadays it's like if we don't feed our children every two hours, they're going (laughs) to die. And then we, we are frustrated because, you know, they won't eat the chicken and broccoli at 6 p.m. because they had a bowl of goldfish, you know, an hour before. So this whole notion of kind of eating all day long has really gotten us into bad shape. Yeah. So 12 hours is, is a, a really good way to do it. 16 to 18 is a really good way to do it. 
Um, you mentioned the five, two, and that's where you kind of eat normal for five days and you do like uber low calories for two. Um, I think Carolyn mentioned she got hangry on that method. Yeah. I, I, it was just depressing waking up on those two days thinking, Ooh, I only get 400 calories today. I love food. <laughs> that's why the 16, eight works for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's alternate day fasting, you know, where you fast for 24 hours and then you eat normal and you fast for 24 hours and then you eat normal. Um, some people fast for 24 hours once a week and do a 12 hour fast, you know, on your other days. So again, there's so many different ways. A lot of people do. There's a one meal a day approach where basically you, you know, fast for 20 hours, 22 hours a day, and you eat one meal a day. Um, so there's so many different ways that you can implement it. You mentioned how our eating window has expanded or how we just, we feed our kids every two hours. But if you look at uh, um, the data and if you look at obesity rates, about the time that obesity rates really started trending upwards is correlates with about the time we kind of left the three meal a day approach. It's more when people started snacking more Snacky. and yeah. And, and if you look, our eating window expanded, you know, it used to be, we ate it, we got up, ate breakfast and then we had dinner and we were done for the day yeah. and we were fine. Like back in the 1950s and sixties, I can't say we did that cause I did not live then, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, but now, you know, you may have something at 6am, 7am and then you're still eating or drinking something, something with calories, um, you know, at 11 p.m. And so our eating window has expanded from going to what used to be maybe around 12 hours to 14 or 16 hours. Exactly. And I think, you know, and you can correlate obesity, you know, the uh, overall decline in America's health to the first nutritional guidelines, uh, the food guide pyramid, and this whole notion of six small meals a day. And what I've come to find through my research is that, that that whole, you know, six small meals a day was really based on assumption and theory. There's really no strong data that shows that that promotes weight loss. It was more of like, you know, during digestion, we do get a metabolic bump. And so the thought was, if we increase our metabolism for three meals a day, why don't we increase our metabolism for six meals a day? But what we didn't have a really good understanding of back then was the impact of our fat storing hormones like insulin and cortisol. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with the old pattern, three meals a day, we had an insulin spike, you know, three times breakfast, lunch and dinner. And so we're really only in that kind of fat storage mode three times a day. Well, when we started to eat six times a day, we really never had the ability for our insulin levels to recover. So instead of having three insulin spikes throughout the day, our insulin levels are high all day long. So we're really promoting that fat storage for, versus that fat burning mechanism. I ate frequently, um, partly because we also heard that if you don't eat every couple of hours, your metabolism's going to slow. And the research yes. now suggests the opposite is true. I mean, it it's, doesn't appear to slow. And some research studies even suggest it may slightly increase some. Now, when you go an extended, extended period, significantly long, then, then it may slow some. But, um, you know, I know that's why I was like, oh, well, I need to eat. So my metabolism doesn't slow. Give right. me the snack. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, Carolyn, I, I would always say, when I tried to eat, and, and I hear this from my clients, you know, when I tried to eat like six small healthy meals a day, the first four were really healthy. You know, by the time I got to the last two, I was just struggling. Like I just couldn't even figure out what healthy was left to eat. So I feel like a lot of my clients become empowered when it's like, okay, all I have to focus on is maybe two meals and one snack. Mm -hmm. You know, I can do that. And um, and it's just a lot easier to manage than trying to eat healthy six times a day. Yeah. And even when I was eating healthy and eating frequently, my hunger levels, because I constantly had that up and down in the glucose and the insulin, my hunger levels were out of 
control. That's what's so interesting to me. When you hear about fasting, people automatically think you're starving. And you are not. I'm so much less hungry when I follow an intermittent fasting protocol. It kind of, um, you know, I tell, I joke that everything that I thought about intermittent fasting before I tried it, like I honestly didn't think I'd make it through a whole day. And, or I thought I, if I did, I might be fired from my job because for being like angry <laughs> and horrible to people. Um, yeah. Short tempered. But everything I thought about it initially, I found the exact opposite to be true. The first two weeks for me were fairly challenging. And then I really, my body just kind of got in a groove. But do you think it was your true hunger that was challenging? I found that it was more the mental aspect that was challenging to me. Like the mental thought of, oh my gosh, I can't eat for 16 hours. But when I really stepped back to look at it, at 10 a.m., I wasn't really hungry. Like so, But it was more the thought of, oh my gosh, I'm not eating, I can't have anything to eat for 16 hours. Have you found the, is it, do you have, find that people struggle with more the mental aspect of not eating or is it more hunger, Amanda? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, the amount of people that are like, oh, if I don't, if I don't eat in the morning, I'll pass out. Like my blood sugar will drop, you know? And I do feel like that there is a process where when you're, you know, consuming highly processed foods, lots of carbohydrates and things like that, that there is a process in which it takes for your body to kind of regulate that. But what I have found, and you'll see this a lot in, in fasting literature, is that most of the time people feel that way first thing in the morning um, because of an electrolyte imbalance. They don't have enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And I find that when my clients are well supported during their fast, it's like what you know, the big question is, okay, well, what can you do while you're fasting? Um, if you're well supported, you feel much better. So there is a component of it's just what you've always done. You've always woke up and had breakfast. And, you know, the feeling of like skipping breakfast can seem overwhelming for people. Um, but then there is also that actual kind of physical response that your body does have to adapt and adjust to. So how do you advise people to manage that potential electrolyte imbalance? So I always say, A, ease into fasting, you know, start with a 12 hour eating window, start with a 12 hour fast and kind of build on that for the first seven to 10 days. You know, the next day go to 13 hours, the next day go to 14 hours. Um, I think that you tolerate it much better and B, you have to support your body with electrolytes. Um, again, going back to that sodium, potassium, and magnesium, um, I'm reading a book called The Salt Fix with my monthly membership because just like kind of fat is bad for you, um, fat got a bad rap at the beginning of you know the, the food guy pyramid and everything, so did sodium. And sodium still gets a really bad rap, but we need it and we need it in adequate amounts. And these kind of low sodium diets that we've been pushing for the past four or five decades are not beneficial to us. They kind of make us, you know, in worse health. So um, a lot of times when people have avoided salt and they're not getting enough magnesium, their body's just not at, at an optimal balance. So when we focus on optimizing those electrolytes, you feel so much better. So I always say electrolyte water is powerful to help you through your fast. Caffeine is very powerful. So, you know, black coffee is kind of like the best case scenario. Um, but, you know, you can put like a little dollop of cream in there if you want. Um, but things like that really kind of help support you during that fasting period. Oh, black coffee is my go-to. But I, I have to say, you really are the renegade dietitian if you just gave us permission to um, not be so stressed <laughs> about our salt intake. I mean... <laughs> Can, yeah. we, can no, we be best I mean, friends? We, like, it is huge. Um, and, and I've learned so much just from this physician that has done such heavy research into the, the history of sodium. And, and I'm starting to see someone sent me an article. I'm starting to kind of see that kind of come to the forefront. So um, that's a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, you mentioned black coffee, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that reminded me something that I have tried to get out to people when they've asked me about intermittent fasting 
Yes. And that is, you know, there is no clinically defined, exact, precise way to do intermittent fasting. There is no medical definition for intermittent fasting that I know of. What we have right now are a bunch of experts, some with actual backgrounds in the area who are using research-based knowledge. Others, maybe not so much, maybe more personal right. anecdotes. I learned under my intermittent fasting training came under you or not training, but I learned um, from you and that's what really got me interested. And you allow people to have, I think it's like a 40 calorie rule, like nothing over 40 calories. So I put a little right. splash of unsweetened almond milk in my black coffee because I can't do it straight black. But I warn people who are starting on intermittent fasting to be careful because people are very territorial about their different, their fat, their whatever intermittent fasting program they are own. And there are some that are super restrictive where like it's nothing but water and they will tell right. you, you are doing it wrong, you know? And so that's why I like to point out to people that there is no, there is no writer, you know, there's no exact protocol. So you've really got to find what you, what works for you. What is kind of the bare, I mean, what is kind of the minimum? You don't want a insulin, you don't want to, consume anything that would trigger an insulin response or what is our goal when we're trying to stay within a fast? Uh, you know, it's a great question. And I, you know, a lot of my knowledge of fasting came from Dr. Fung. He wrote an amazing book called the complete guide to, to intermittent fasting. And one of the things that I found to be very powerful in which he says is sometimes you have to meet people where they are. Okay. And I see this a lot in with regards to weight loss and nutrition and health and wellness, you know, if you've got somebody that's drinking a caramel macchiato, you know, and eating a sausage biscuit first thing in the morning, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be very doable for them to go to black coffee, you know, and fast all morning. So you kind of have to build on it. And, and what he says is something's better than nothing. And that's kind of the approach that, that I take. Yes. If you talk to purist, you know, fasting. Um, I always say if you want 110% of the benefits of fasting, because there's so many different benefits beyond just weight loss, then you do stick to water, black coffee, herbal tea with kind of nothing in it. Um, but a next level of fasting is, you know, the level that I kind of use with my clients. And that's kind of like 40 calories or less. You know, most likely when you're consuming such a low caloric value, over the course of 30 minutes to an hour, you know, most people are not chugging a cup of coffee, you're going to have a minimal insulin response. And that's really what we're looking for. We don't want our blood sugar to rise. The minute our blood sugar rises, the minute the pancreas is, is secreting insulin, then we kind of shut down that, that autophagy, we shut down that kind of fasting mechanism. Um, so 40 calories or less is, is the rule of thumb that I use. Now, there's another form of fasting called fat fasting. And, you know, Dave Asbury has done a ton of research on this. Um, it's also, you know, the, called the bulletproof coffee. And um, a lot of people use that. I just listened to a really great podcast that he did recently. And, uh, you know, I mean, basically what it comes down to is, you know, you make bulletproof coffee, it's about 200 calories, but because it is 100% fat, there is no protein, there's no carbohydrates, you have zero insulin response. And so again, as long as you're not having any type of movement in your blood sugar or your insulin levels, you're technically still in that fasted state. So um, there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of look at it and everybody reacts differently. For example, um, I've tested my blood glucose. I'm actually wearing a continuous glucose monitor right now just to kind of learn more about how my body reacts to food and fasting. But for me, I can drink Splenda. I can drink, you know, um, artificial sweeteners. I can drink Stevia, which are all zero calorie. And I don't have a response where I had a client that um, had access to a, a glucose um, reader and she would drink Crystal Light, which again is zero calories and her blood sugar would spike to, to 140. So wow. it does vary a little from person to person. Um, so 
the cleaner you can be with your fast, the better, but you kind of have to start somewhere and kind of build on that. Like I can't believe I drink black coffee. When I started this whole journey, you know, I was doing the Bulletproof coffee. I was doing the 40 calories or less, but over time, as you use less and less, you, and you find good coffee. Now I'm a black coffee drinker. So. Yeah. I love that though. I mean, I love how you said you have to meet people where they're at. I, I love to say that all of the time and, and it informs a lot of the content that I write. But then the other thing is to hear you say that, you know, you have now become a black coffee drinker. And um, I, I mean, I get that. I now am a black coffee drinker. I didn't used to be. But it's one of those things. And this applies not just to intermittent fasting, but in general, when it comes to, you know, quote unquote, cleaning up your diet is that you do you can slowly transition yourself in the direction that you want. And you can actually slowly transition yourself into a, an unhealthy direction, too. It is, I think, for someone who is intimidated at the idea of starting intermittent fasting or even trying it out, it's really it's really nice to hear you say that, you know, you can start slow and work your way up to the ideal that you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I just feel like is the biggest thing holding us all back is this all or nothing mindset. It's like, well, if I can't fast perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. And, you know, it's really crushing everything that we do right now with regards to our health and wellness. I mean, the message right now is just so polarizing. You know, it's all about that. You know, you got to do it all to be successful. And, you know, people are failing because of that. So I love that that's your message because that's definitely you know, my message is, you know, let's start somewhere, do something and build on that. It's so that all or nothing mentality for a lot of people like myself is so ingrained. I caught myself the other day and I was at the 14 hour mark of my fast and I really wanted to eat. And I realized, you know what? I fasted 14 hours. That's great. Mm -hmm. And I ended after kind of thinking through and, you know, gauging my hunger, I went ahead and ate, and I realized that had I not kind of had that talk with myself, um, that I would have said, oh, my gosh, this was like a failure. Like, you know, I have to catch myself with that all or nothing, even though I know science doesn't support that, and I tell other people that. You know, it's just kind of ingrained into your to your lot of thought processes. It really is. I would love to transition to talk a little bit about the benefits of intermittent fasting um, beyond uh, beyond weight loss, okay? So we have talked about, obviously, it works for weight loss anecdotally, scientifically. You know, Amanda, if there are some weight loss benefits that you think are really worth touting, please share them with us. But also, what are some of the other benefits to intermittent fasting? Yeah, I mean, obviously, weight loss is just kind of one of those, you know, items that we talk about. And and people that want to like poo-poo on intermittent fasting will always say, well, that's because you're eating less, you know, you're you're reducing your caloric intake and, you know, kind of all that. And, and I think the research shows that that's not actually the case, that there's more things going on kind of biologically that are promoting that increase in that fat metabolism. But I mentioned autophagy, um, which is huge. Autophagy is, you know, your body's ability to get rid of bad cells, um, bad DNA, bad membrane, bad mitochondria, um, and, and kind of refurbish ourselves from the inside out. And there's a lot of people kind of um, hypothesizing that this decline in our eating, you know, in our fasting time over the nighttime period Uh, where we did used to always do a 12 to 14 hour fast. When we look at our eating patterns back in the, you know, fifties and forties and thirties and and beyond, we were always fasting for at least 12 to 14 hours. And now, you know, we're fasting more for like eight to 10 hours. And they are saying that, you know, some of the decline in the overall American's health is due to the loss of this process, due to the loss of autophagy. So um, it's a powerful process that we want to make sure that we're um, stimulating on a daily basis. You know, a lot of people think that they're going to have like a lot of brain fog. 
They're going to have, you know, um, problems with, you know, focus. And really, it's the opposite. You know, most people, again, once you get through those kind of first couple of days where your body's kind of adapting, you have more brain clarity. You have less brain fog. There's a lot of research going on about um, intermittent fasting and the prevention of Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, there's a lot of research going on about the um, treatment of cancer, you know, the body's ability to, you know, again, remove those um, dysfunctional cells and, um, you know, get them out of the body through autophagy. We have, you know, reduced inflammation. We have improved heart health. We have slowed aging, um, healthier skin. I mean, the benefits of fasting are kind of like just go on and on and on. Insulin sensitivity, you know, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, insulin resistance and it being a, a major issue with people's inability to lose weight. Well, fasting helps improve insulin sensitivity. So um, those are just a few of the things that you can see when you start implementing intermittent fasting. When I look at research, and granted, there's we still need a lot more research um, when it comes to looking at intermittent fasting in regards to specific conditions and diseases. It's rare, when there is some research, it's rare that I find a condition that somehow isn't in some capacity improved or made better by fasting, which is really, really interesting. Um, and yeah. But I, you know, until we really started work on this podcast, I hadn't looked that much into potential mood benefits and mental, when it comes to mental wellness, I knew that I felt better. I, um, but you know, I really hadn't had a chance to look into the research that much. How, are you familiar with any potential? I know you mentioned Alzheimer's, um, and I, I have seen that research and the dementia research um, in regards to fasting. Um, but do you have any other insight when it comes to, to mental wellness and potential benefits that intermittent fasting might provide? You know, that's definitely an area in which I have not dived too deep into. Um, you're probably more of an expert on that with your research. But I definitely think that, you know, we know that there is a gut brain connection. And we know that the food that we eat impacts the way that we feel, the way that we think. And I, so I think I do believe that, you know, intermittent fasting can positively impact um, not only our, our brain health, you know, the prevention of Alzheimer's and dementia, but also, you know, the way that our, our moods are, um, specifically with those kind of swings and, you know, our blood sugar levels, you know, when you're kind of spiking and crashing, spiking and crashing, it creates like a vicious cycle. So intermittent fasting allows you to kind of regulate those a lot better. And I think overall, helps you to feel more in control with your emotions and your moods. You know, and when you think about, let's take depression or anxiety or something, you think, oh my gosh, cutting back on eating, like minimizing your eating window, seems like it would not have such a great impact on someone who already has depression or anxiety. You know, it seems right. like it would be a bad thing. But when we did a kind of a review of current research prepping for this podcast, there, there is limited research. There's more coming, but we did find, you know, several studies, and most of them suggest the opposite, or pretty much all of them suggest the opposite. There were a few studies where there were no real change, but several of the studies suggested that intermittent fasting um, or some form of fasting or cutting out calories for a period of time, um, for a short period of time, elevated mood and had a positive benefit brain health in terms of mental wellness. And that, and I would say the other part that is interesting is that a more recent study came out and Amanda, maybe you can speak to this one too. It was, it was an animal. So let's qualify that there, but that intermittent fasting has a positive effect on our, has the potential to have a positive effect on our gut microbiome. And so you take that element, right? And then, as you said, Amanda, there's this gut, you know, brain axis that we're familiar with. And so it really just kind of helps drill down even more into the potential mechanisms that could be beneficial when it comes to 
following an intermittent fasting way of eating and your mood. Yeah, I noticed in a, a separate study, Briarly, that it was when you mentioned the gut thing, that reminded me I saw in a separate study that studies in rodents, now again, animals, but, and there are a few that are with humans, but this one suggested that fasting enhanced the availability of brain tryptophan and serotonin. That serotonin word that we seem to bring up every yes. episode. But back when we did the gut health episode, um, a few episodes back, Amanda, we shared with people that about 90% of your serotonin, that feel-good chemical, is made in your gut. So, you know, if there is a way to enhance the gut, then that makes sense. And intermittent fasting can do that. It makes sense that there would be some, you know, residual positive effects possibly on brain health and mental wellness. I love that. We do keep coming back to serotonin, don't we? Yes, <laughs> we did. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I could not agree more. You know, I think that what we've learned over the last decade about the power of our gut is, is pretty phenomenal. And I think it's really shifted the way that we're looking at disease and, you know, everything that people are dealing with. You know, I mean, basically it all starts in the gut. And we can pretty much assume that if you're eating the standard American diet, the SAD diet, that you probably have leaky gut. And most of your underlying medical conditions are due simply to that. So healing the gut, um, which I do think that fasting can play a huge role in that, can make a huge impact just on on everything that that you're dealing with. Uh, So I love that you guys are addressing that because I think it's really important. Well, and the other thing I've seen with intermittent fasting is the reduction in um, inflammatory markers. And, you know, my inflammation is kind of the area that I love. But, mm-hmm. you know, the research suggests that depression and a lot of your mental health issues, they may not be caused necessarily by inflammation, but inflammation's driving them and maybe even, you know, make, keeping them going or making them worse. Um, so anytime you can reduce inflammation in your body um, through diet, through food choices, but also through intermittent fasting, I feel like has the potential to, you know, possibly help your mental wellness. Right. I mean, it it comes back to that combination that we've talked about in previous episodes where there are like multiple mechanisms, right? There's like the anti-inflammatory approach. And then, you know, in some instances, like the last episode we talked about vitamin and minerals and and that sort of thing and in this one when it comes to to intermittent fasting you know there is some school of thought in terms of mental health is that it the way that intermittent fast impacts our hunger hormones Mm -hmm. um like ghrelin and leptin and even if we produce ketones like that those actually they think can also be positively impacting our mood and and it's you know one of the the things that i felt like i kept seeing over and over in this in the research was that they were saying there's so much about depression that we don't understand all of the mechanisms, right? We don't understand how it kind of completely plays out in our body. And so as a result, it's hard to then say, oh, how might intermittent fasting and how might these hunger hormones impact our mood? But based on some of the limited research that's been done, it it really is positive. And again, like going back to what you had said earlier, Amanda, like it is free. You can adopt it in the form that suits you best. And it's, it has the potential to be complementary to what you're already doing for your mental wellness. It doesn't replace things like prescription medications or talk therapy or... I I would not advocate anybody. And we aren't saying, I don't think any of us are saying... (laughs) stop your medication, stop seeing your therapist and do intermittent fasting. No, we are not saying that at all. But I think, I mean, why not try it? Yeah. It shows potential or has, could have a lot of potential and it's free and it could potentially augment what you're already doing. Yeah. No. And I see that a lot, you know, when I work with my clients, sometimes obviously to get them better, it does require a lot of change. And there's a lot of moving parts that, you know, they need to think about in order to really optimize their health. And that alone 
creates anxiety. You know, so sometimes mm -hmm. when you're when you're working with someone who's overwhelmed, who's doing all the things wrong and you throw them, you know, 10 things that they need to do better. They just again, they just shrivel up and, you know, melt away. It's that all or nothing mindset. But when you can start with something like, OK, I've got an idea. It's free. All it requires is just, you know, a start and a stop. And, you know, let's do this for a week and let's build on it. You know, they feel like, okay, I can do that. You know, they become empowered. And anytime that you can empower someone, you know, and you can help them to be successful with the strategy, then that's a good thing. Like that positive reinforcement is going to allow them to then want to work on the next thing. And so time-restricted eating, in my mind, because it's free and it's implementable to everyone, is just a great first starting point. Again, start with 12 hours and build on that. Yeah. I, I remember you saying that several years ago, and um, I really tried to do that with my kids just because the more I read, now I'm not trying to put them on a 16, 8, but 12, wow. you know, I'm just trying to shut our kitchen down at night. They need that 12-hour yeah. window. The more research that I read, and it's not for weight loss, it's for all the other health benefits. It's a little, it's a little easier when your kids are just ever so slightly younger. Like I think about mine and I'm like, oh, I mean, they naturally do a 12 right. hour fast because they, they go to sleep for 11 just hours still. wait till you got one tick talking all night. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. No, and I think, you know, I, I, we're in the world of pandemic right now when we're recording this and I don't know how things are in your state. I'm in Kentucky and we're still virtual learning and it's like meal there are no meal times now you know yeah um my kids are just kind of eating willy-nilly whenever they want and it's created really unhealthy eating patterns you know when we force our children and we even force ourselves to sit down and and even eat breakfast lunch and dinner the quality of the food that we're eating is better you know it's not snacky quick food it's more nutritious it's more beneficial. So even that alone can make a huge difference. Yeah. Amanda, I wanted to ask because I, oh, I want to ask about exercise. And here's why. Because there are these, you know, depending on how you approach your time-restricted eating, right, you might be doing something that for me, you know, I'm a fairly active person. So for me, it might feel a little extreme to go two days a week where I only eat four or 500 calories and following a five-two, yeah, following a five-two, or as you were saying, there's some where you just eat one meal a day, you know, like so. Now, so that's one part of my question, and then the other part is like, you know, we know we've talked a little bit about it. I actually was reading about it in some of this in some of this other research that, you know, there are great great benefits to being physically active for your mental wellness. So, in a way, I don't want to discourage folks from being physically active for their mental wellness at the expense of intermittent fasting. So could you talk a little bit about how you can merge those two things together or how you advise people who are active to implement intermittent fasting into their lives? Yes, absolutely. We do not want to say to reduce activity in order to increase fasting, that's for sure. And I think that you have to, it's going to be it's going to be based on the individual and you have to look at what your, you know, health and wellness goals are and what your physical goals are, you know, your activity goals. So, and there's so many different ways that you can implement it. First off, you know, the whole notion of you, you've got to eat protein right after a workout, you know, in order for it to be beneficial is, is the science is really weak with regards to that, and especially for the typical person. You know, most people, once you become more fat adapted, and I'll talk more about that, um, can tolerate working out at six or seven in the morning and, you know, having their first meal at 11 or 12. Now, it takes some adjustment. It does take a couple of weeks for your body to, um, you know, tolerate that and, and you feel very optimal. I, I know for me, that's typically when I work out and I don't eat until 12 or one every day. And I feel great. You know, I've done multiple day fast in, in the past and I've still worked out, you know, and, and felt great, but that's because I've become adapted to tolerate that. So 
people that are looking to, you know, if you're like a bodybuilder, if you're a strength, you know, you're working to do strength programs, you want to be in lifting competitions, you're a pro athlete, you know, you're an athlete training, you know, multiple hours a day, then working out and fasting for five hours after your workout is not going to be beneficial. Like based on what your goals are and what you need your body to do, you do need to eat probably more frequently throughout the day. So if you're someone like that, who likes to work out first thing in the morning, you have these kind of physique, you know, strength goals um, at this kind of upper level, then maybe you don't fast every day. You know, the days that you do your heavy lifting, you do a 12 hour fast. And the days that you don't, you do your 16 hour fast. And again, that's where fasting is so um, beneficial because it's so flexible. There's not one right way to do it. Um, so I think you have to look at your, you know, what your goals are, what you're looking for. But for the for most people that are looking for weight loss and health optimization, um, there's really no issue with working out in that fasted state and then eating kind of later in the day. I talked a little bit about becoming fat adapted and I'll, I'll elaborate on that. So right now, especially people that feel like they have to eat before they work out and they have to eat after they work out, um, we, most people are sugar adapted, carbohydrate adapted. And that means that we run on that really quick energy. Okay. Obviously the body loves sugar and carbs because it's effortless energy. I like to say it's like couch potato energy. So when you eat a lot of carbs and sugars, your body doesn't have to work hard to break down and process that energy. So when those readily available energy sources are not there, when carbohydrates and sugars are gone, which is what you're going to see starting at, you know, if you're working out at a 12 to 14 hour fast, um, your body has to go look for energy somewhere. And it's not used to that. You know, first it's going to go to your liver. It's going to look for your glycogen stores. Those are pretty easy to pull out. But once those get low, then it has to go to your fat stores. And I, I kind of equate it to like running a mile. The first time you run a mile, you think you're going to die. All right. The first time your body goes to look for energy in the form of fat, it thinks it's going to die. You know, and that's kind of how you feel during your workout and coming out of your workout. You feel really run down, really tired. But over time, as your body gets used to finding the inner, finding the fat, pulling the fat, converting the fat, utilizing the fat, it becomes more efficient. And that's what it means to be fat adapted. So it's like running a mile. Every day you run that mile it gets a little easier and easier. So there's even a lot of, you know, upper level pro athletes that, you know, basically live a keto lifestyle, live a low carb lifestyle. And they talk about their ability to be fat adapted. And that's kind of what they're referring to. So my typical, you know, recommendation to clients that are shifting from, um, you know, fed workouts to fasted workouts is recognize it takes about three to four weeks for your body to become fat adapted. Um, so you might need extra support like branch chain amino acids before, during, or after your workout. Drops in blood sugar. Because what I've found is there's a lot of people who maybe wake up and what they assume is hunger probably isn't really hunger. It's more a drop in blood sugar. And it's not true hunger. And I, I have discovered that through my own experiences and I tell people I try to load my my fast my eating window where my a lot most of my carbs are earlier in my eating window so that my dinner is more is lower carb and that kind of helps regulate my blood sugar and I don't get that hunger type feeling where my yes. blood sugar drops in the morning and I don't wake up hungry now if I have something sweet you know, when I, right before I end my eating window, yep. oh my gosh. But it's not hunger. And I was telling somebody that the other day. I, she said, I just wake up starving. And I said, I don't think it's hungry. It's, she said, I'm just, I'm hungry. And I said, I don't think it's hunger. <laughs> it was a good friend, so yeah. I could say it. I said, I don't think it's, you're not hungry. You know, you ate a great meal for dinner. You're not hungry. I think it's your blood sugar. And I think that's been one of the most beneficial things that intermittent fasting has slowly taught me is really how to read my body's cues better. All this blood sugar up and downs 
were making me think I needed to eat because it was hunger and I needed to feed my body. And it really wasn't, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, that, you know, and again, the thing about it is, is when you are sugar adapted, even just small swings, you know, like if your blood sugar drops to 80, you feel that so much more when in reality, 80 is normal, you know, but you have such swings going up and down that, you know, you feel like you need to eat. Um, when in reality, it's just like what you're saying. It's really just those, those blood sugar changes. Yeah. So if a listener wants to try IF, um, but maybe doesn't want to do it indefinitely, is there a period of time that you recommend that someone stick to it? Like, is two weeks enough? Should they try it for a month, three months? I know my approach now that I'm, I'm used to it is this is going to be the way I eat for the rest of my life. But for people yeah. who haven't tried it and maybe just want to get some of the weight loss benefits or, you know, try it for some of the mental wellness or, you know, just the overall health benefits, you know, is there a certain period of time or, or what do you recommend? Well, I always say anytime that you're making a shift in your daily habits and you want to see if that shift is going to have a positive or negative impact on your overall health, weight loss, whatever it may be, you've got to implement it for at least four to six weeks. So that's what I would recommend. You know, again, it doesn't have to be every day. You could, you know, do a 16 hour fast Monday through Friday and eat, you know, do a 12 hour fast Saturday through Sunday. But um, give yourself at least four to six weeks um, to see what kind of results that, that you get or feel. Yeah, great. I love that. I love that you, I mean, because four to six weeks in the grand scheme of things is really not that extensive. It's not like a big, right. a big time commitment. And that still, it gets you through, like, as you were saying, you need those three to four weeks to become fat adapted. It kind of gets you over that hump. It gets you into a routine. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, you can decide how you want to you know, whether or not you want to continue yeah. or if this is just something that maybe you want to dabble in a couple times a year. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, it sounds bigger than it is. It sounds harder than it is. But if you look at, if people will look at when do they eat, usually eat their last meal or when could they eat their last meal and kind of, you know, eat nothing else, or eat or drink nothing else with calories, you know. And then when do they usually have their first drink or meal with calories in the day. If you look at that time period at what it is already, I bet it's like around like 10 hours. So you're really just talking about when you're starting out, going about two more hours, trying to get to that 12 hour mark. Right. You know, building up to that. It's really, um, as I told somebody the other day, people, you know, especially when people balk at fasting, oh, that sounds horrible. I, I shared with somebody the other day, everybody fast. This is something you're already doing. You're already fasting. That period of time from when you eat your last meal, drink, whatever it is, to when you have your next one the next day, you're fasting. So everyone's already fasting. You know, it's just, you know, looking at that time frame. Well, and it's like on, you know, on a weekend day, if you are a person who brunches, which by the way, I I can't actually remember the last time I brunched because my kids are too little to make it not very enjoyable. But I will say that if you are a person who brunches on Saturday or Sunday or both days, unless you're, you know, getting the early bird special, you probably already are eating in a 12-hour window on those days. So. It's, again, like, your body has the ability to do it. Now you just have to convince your mind. Yeah. Well, I know we need to let you go, Amanda, but um, one other question that we wanted to ask you about, and then I want if there's anything we didn't cover that you think is relevant or that you want to share, I'd love to hear that. But um, where do you see people get the most tripped up when it comes to intermittent fasting? You know, I think it's the all or nothing thinking that a, you know, I'm going to starve myself. I only get one meal a day, kind of looking at the extremes to fasting. Oh, I can only drink black coffee. Um, You know, I've got to do it every day in order to see benefits is where people get just basically don't try it. 
Um, and so I think once you present it in the mind of start with 12 hours, ease your way in, you can do this, try this, you know, um, do it for five days, give yourself a break for two, then it opens the door and it and allows them to, um, you know, give it a go. I think the other thing that will trip people up is they do it without unsupported. They don't understand the power of electrolytes. They don't understand the power of caffeine. Like they don't understand the things that they should be doing to really optimize how they feel during the fast. So I've had a lot of people say, oh, I tried that and I felt horrible. Um, and it's just because they were, you know, poorly supported. So I think that's another thing that you want to think about. Well, and I will say, Amanda does not know I'm about to say this. Um, when people ask me about fasting, I immediately direct them to your program because I think it's so helpful to have someone guiding you that has that research base of knowledge. And I, the primary reason that I direct them to you is one, I've done your program, but you're a dietitian. And that was so important to me when I was considering trying it out. There's a lot of programs out there, but I really don't know of any other dietitians that are leading it and have that have your base of knowledge so if someone is looking for a program or for some guidance i you're pretty much the only person i refer them to just because of your base of knowledge well thank you we i do like to say we are the experts in the field of nutrition <laughs> and you know i think that we have to claim that spot um that is you know been very unclaimed in the last couple of decades and um you know i just love what you ladies are doing because again like we mentioned i just think that there's so much connection between um, nutrition and our overall, you know, the way that we feel. And um, once you start to realize that connection is when, you know, people really start to come out of the funk and the brain fog and the depression and the anxiety, it, it can be really powerful. So such great stuff y'all are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell people, we're going to post this in our show notes so people can find it there, but can you quickly tell people how they can find you? Yeah, the best place to find me, I'm super active on Instagram, Amanda Nybert, RD. That's where you'll, you know, get tons of daily content and support. And then my website, amandanybert.com has, um, I have a shop with tons of resources and, you know, my seven week program, Lean, Living Energized and Nourished. Um, so those are two great places to find me. Thank you. I know you are very active. I aspire to be you on Instagram. I think I'm Ugh. a little too introverted. In fact, your people, we've had you for an hour now. It. Your followers are probably wondering where you are in your stories. <laughs> They're missing you. <laughs> so Amanda, you are offering all of our listeners a discount if they do sign up for your seven-week program once this airs. So can you share a little bit more about how they would sign up and can learn more about it and what that discount code is? Sure, yes. Lean, Living Energized and Nourished is my signature seven-week program. It's all run through my free private app, so uh, no social media needed. And it, it really will walk you through implementing advanced nutritional strategies such as intermittent fasting, macro management, um, whole food nutrition, reduced inflammation. Um, and the, what really sets it apart is the daily support and accountability. So you are working with myself and my team um, to really make sure you kind of stay on track and, and don't fall into that all or nothing mindset. So we're going to offer a special discount for you guys. The program is um, typically $199 for seven weeks. And We'll give you guys a $10 discount. Just simply use the code HAPPYEAT and it will give you that discount and you can get started. Usually sessions begin about every two weeks. So check it out. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. And as always, if you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. 
Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.